The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Play action pass by Cousins. Throws right to a Hawkeye. Tyler Sash lateral the ball off to Micah Hyde. He might go inside the five, lunging, touchdown! It's all made possible by Tyler Sash. Outstanding job. Cousins underthrows the ball to B.J. Cunningham. Sash picks it off, and Micah Hyde takes it to the house. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and the Reporters' Roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You will hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Indiana's Bill Lynch. We'll review the Iowa-Michigan State game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Indiana game. The Iowa-Michigan State State game highlights are courtesy of ABC ESPN, once again with Sean McDonough and Matt Millen. A nice job calling that game, good play-by-play, and thoughtful analysis. We very much appreciate it and thank them. More than six minutes now on this opening drive. Second and goal from the three. Danzy throws, and it is caught for a touchdown by Colin Sandeman. That throw never gets off. If they don't protect the inside, they come with a double A-gap blitz, both of those backers coming inside. They pick it up perfectly inside. Ferentz, Geddes, it's handled. He's able to see the throw and make the throw. Ricky Stanzi's now thrown at least one touchdown pass in each of his last 17 games. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use and by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. I've been meaning to ask you, which acapella group should I join? The Harmoniacs or the Dory Migos? Iowa 37, Michigan State 6. Redemption for the Hawks. Offense, defense, special teams, and the coaching staff. This appeared to be one angry football team playing in Kinnick Stadium on Blackout Saturday. It was a stunning victory over the previously undefeated and fifth-ranked Spartans. Those pregame worries about any hangover from the loss to Wisconsin? They were erased in the opening drive, which was just the beginning of total domination of Sparty on a beautiful Halloween weekend. Iowa gave a huge treat to their fans and handed the Spartans a major league trick. Close games in this series? Not this day. Iowa's defenders were monsters and mashed Michigan State from beginning to end. The Hawks held the Big Ten's leading scoring offense to a season-low six points. Iowa mistakes? Nope. Well, there was that one missed PAT, but that was it. This game, it was Michigan State that had the miscues, including some crucial penalties and three interceptions, one a pick six, thrown by Spartans star quarterback Kirk Cousins, who nearly doubled his interceptions total on the year. Meanwhile, Iowa's offense played flawless football, passing, running, and blocking. 
Coaching gaffes? Week before last is a distant memory. This was some redemption for the Ferrin staff as well. The Wisconsin loss still stings, but this team victory is one to savor for the Hawkeyes. Doubters? Believers again. The Hawks now prepare for next Saturday's road game against an Indiana team with an offense that always seems to give Iowa fits. This is the first of two consecutive road games, which are critical for the Hawkeyes, who now are officially back in the Rose Bowl hunt. I love you all. <laughs> HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Post-game notes and key stats, with this victory, the Hawkeyes became bowl eligible for the 10th straight season under head coach Kurt Ferentz. Iowa has two wins over ranked opponents so far this year. Penn State and Michigan State both played at Kinnick Stadium. Iowa now has a 22-18 and two series advantage over the Spartans, having won two in a row and four of the last five. The point margin was the largest for Iowa since 2002, and Michigan State's six points are the fewest scored against an Iowa team since 1983. The margin of victory is also the largest for the Hawks over a ranked opponent since 2002. The Hawks held the potent Michigan State offense to only 31 rushing yards, far below the Spartan season average of 193.5. Michigan State was also held to season lows in points scored and total offense. The Hawks' three interceptions came from Brent Greenwood, Sean Prater, and Tyler Sash. Iowa's other defensive back, Micah Hyde, took a lateral from Sash and returned that pick 66 yards for a touchdown. It was Hyde's first TD as a Hawk and the 13th career interception by Sash, who is now fifth all-time in that category at Iowa. Prater also led the Hawks in tackles with a career-high 10. True freshman James Morris and redshirt freshman Shane DeBona both started at linebacker for the first time in their Iowa careers, and Morris racked up nine tackles. He also had a pass breakup. Ricky Stanzi completed 11 of 15 passes for 190 yards and three touchdowns. Stanzi has now thrown for three or more TDs in each of the last three games, and he has at least one TD pass in the last 17 games he's played. He also had his longest career run on a 26-yard scramble. Stanzi had his highest passer rating of the season so far, an eye-popping 245.7. Sophomore running back Adam Robinson played yet another fine game. He had 69 yards and one touchdown on 20 rushing attempts to go along with a 32-yard passing touchdown, his first as a Hawkeye. Iowa was 3-for-3 three three in the red zone, while the Spartans only got there once, scoring on a passing touchdown early in the fourth quarter. Iowa went into this game tied for fifth nationally in turnover margin, while Michigan State was ninth. With no turnovers last Saturday for the Hawks, they now have just five total in eight games this season, and none in four of those contests. Following this win, the Hawkeyes were named the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl National Team of the Week, and Sean Prater was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. He becomes the fifth Iowa player to earn the weekly conference honor so far this year. Key stats, first downs, Michigan State had 13 to Iowa's 18. Net yards rushing, again as we said, only 31 for the Spartans, 162 for the Hawks. Net yards passing, 227 for Michigan State, 190 for Iowa. Total offense, 258 for the Spartans, 352 for the Hawks. Michigan State was penalized seven times for 63 yards. The Hawks only had three penalties, totaling 35 yards. Possession time, 2750 for Michigan State, 3210 for Iowa. Third down 
touchdown conversions. Michigan State was only 4 of 14, the Hawks 5 of 11. Third and seven. Cousins, another bad throw. This one has a chance to go back all the way. Sean Prater with only Cousins to beat, shoved out of bounds. Sean, remember when I said at one point they're going to run an out and up on Prater? That's exactly what they tried, but because Prater was sitting back and was patient, let the thing develop, he's able to jump it. 41-yard return by Sean Prater's third interception of the season. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit Prefins. Com. Time to hear from the coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who is gunning for his 100th career head coaching victory, was asked about Hoosiers quarterback Ben Chappell, his possible injury, and the Indiana passing game. You know, probably the only uh, the only thing there, you know, he may not be thinking run first, you know, because he, he runs the ball effectively too, so it might limit his ability to do that. Might, you know, keyword there is might, but uh, expect him to be in there and he throws that football around pretty well. Anyway, does a nice job running there offense did the did a great job last year and you know, we're, we're going to certainly prepare like he's going to be in there and you know running their entire offense we've got excellent receivers you know they've got a good scheme very well conceived scheme uh they were they were a good offensive football team a year ago and i think they're just building on that and you, know, you have a fifth year quarterback like that that helps they've got some excellent receivers too as they did in the past and that's that's been a problem for us matching up with those guys Ferentz was asked if Iowa's win last Saturday over previously undefeated Michigan State was one of the best games his Hawkeyes have played. Yeah, you know, I haven't looked at it big picture-wise, but you know we, we had it going all three phases, and that's you know it starts there. And I think the biggest thing was we played better on special teams. You know, it's, it's really kind of been hindering us during the course of this season. Uh, and and you know, a lot of times it's subtle stuff, but field position's a big thing. It's it's uh, better to have a good defense or easier to play good defense when they've got to go 80 or 75 yards as opposed to 50. And but we covered more aggressively. That was that was number one on the list. I think that that's uh, seen that way from the sidelines. And I thought looking at the tape uh, looked the same way. So our temperament was better on, on special teams. And you know, if we can continue to build on that, uh, that could be a good thing for us. So. Hopefully we're moving in the right direction. You know, Donahue punted uh, very, very well. He's been doing it all season long, but he had a great day punting. And then those are the things that help us play better football. And I think everything else fed off of that, but that was a that was a positive step. Ferentz was asked about how well his defense performed when switching on occasion to a 3-4 scheme and sometimes the nickel. Yeah, it was effective for us, and that really, you know, I think uh, the birth of that package, if you will, was uh, Alamo Bowl. 01. So there's a reason for it. The team we were playing was, you know, a spread attack. And, uh, you know, it's just our one way for us to get some substituted personnel out there and teams that have five receivers, all that type of thing. So it's it's, it's just part of the package. And, uh, you know, the, the, that's the good news. It's uh, been effective for us. The bad news is it takes four backers instead of three. And every time I look at our depth chart, you know, we keep going the wrong way on numbers. So we'll have to see what we can do here. We'll throw something up on the board and see what it looks like. Kirk talks about getting true freshman Marcus Coker more carries at running back to spell starter Adam Robinson, something especially important this weekend with the potential that Robinson may not start or play.
play. Yeah, I, I think I said last week we were, you know, we actually planned on playing them two weeks ago and just didn't, you know, so didn't script it up. But we, we you know, again, restated that point on Thursday in our meeting that we were going to get them out there and play them, and we did. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for us, you know, we're into whatever week it is now, four games to go here. So it's not like the Big Ten, right? We Big Ten's got 11 teams, sorry, 12 games. So anyway, we've played eight games, but uh, uh, we're going to need him. Yeah, we're going to need him down the road here, and you know, we'll just keep pushing for it. It was, it was a good outing for him. I mean, it was a varsity out there hitting him, and thought he did a good job in those circumstances. That was a, a tough situation. You know, a lot of the time he was carrying the ball. They knew we were going to carry the ball and, or run the ball, and, you know, he had a couple nice runs in the gate by penalty, but you know, well, hopefully he's, he's been really doing a better job in practice. He just missed time. That was the only thing. He missed that big block of uh, practice time. So uh, he's getting caught up, and you know, we're going to need more than him too. So we'll have to keep keep bringing our young guys along. And Ferentz was asked about his team's excellent turnover margin so far this season. And that's something we've tried to coach, and I've said before, I'm not a huge you know statistic guy. I think they're starting to make a little bit more, have a little bit more value right now as you go along here in November. But uh, that that's one that counts all all any time of the season. You know, if you're not doing a good job in that area, uh, it's really tough to have a successful team unless you're just you know so superior, which you know we've never been in that category. So uh, it helps, and it's it's a combination of you know uh, the guys responsible for ball security doing a great job uh, might be a lineman or someone you know protecting the punt return guy you know but everybody has some responsibility there and uh then the other flip side of it, of it is the takeaways you know, our defense has done a good job the last couple of years in particular you know really getting the takeaways and that's you know, was a big part of the game the other day too is you know those those i think it was three to zip three zip and turnovers and it really helps you if you can do that and play good on special teams you got a shot <laughs> Indiana head coach Bill Lynch is also going for his 100th career victory, but is beginning to face speculation as to his future with the Hoosiers as he prepares for the Iowa game this Saturday. Lynch was asked if he brings up last year's tough loss in Iowa City as his team gets ready to face the Hawks in Bloomington. It's really one of those things I don't, I don't think we have to bring it up. I'm sure the kids talk about it and know that uh, we had an opportunity there and we just didn't finish the game. So I, I don't think uh, it, it's really necessary. Certainly. Um, the respect we have for Iowa and the kind of football team they are, I think you know our kids know what they're getting into. And so I think that's probably the reflection on last year more so than uh, how the game ended. Lynch was asked about the difference between the 2009 version of Ricky Stanzi and the Iowa quarterbacks play this year. Oh, I think just the maturity uh, you know, of all older quarterbacks who's played in the Big Ten. You know, he's just... Uh, it looks like the game slowed down to him, and he's very, very efficient in what he's doing. He's very accurate, always has been, um, and he's such, you know, he can throw on the move, and uh, he's got great receivers, but he's, he's playing very, very well uh, right now. And last year was a different day. It was a real windy day, as I remember, that uh, both of us had trouble throwing the ball when we were into the wind, and I think most of the, the picks we had, that, that had something to do with it. So that's why each, not only uh, each week uh, is different, you know, certainly uh, what happened last year, I don't think, has a whole lot of bearing on what uh, will happen this Saturday. And Lynch was asked how he and his staff try to map out a path to bowl eligibility at the beginning beginning of and during the season? Well, <clears throat> the way we approach it here, uh, certainly in the, in the minds of all our players, uh, and I think anybody that plays football at this level, uh, being a bowl team is, is certainly a goal. Um, but we don't uh, we don't put a number on it, and we certainly don't, even as a staff, we don't look at the schedule and say, well, we have a chance here, We this one's going to be tough, all those, because I think the first thing that happens is you start putting limitations on yourself before you ever get started. Um, so, you know, 
like everybody else says, it really is true. You take it one game at a time. And uh, each week is different. Uh, the dynamics of your football cha- team changed week from week based on injury situations or things that uh, you know may happen within the, the course of the week. So that's why if you, if you start looking ahead to this game or that game, you're really going to get in trouble. So we take it one game at a time, and, and uh, before the season starts, uh, uh, we certainly know that uh, we want to be a bowl team, but we're not going to put limitations on, on what the wins are going to be. Stanzi has a man behind the defense. Caught! Another touchdown! Adam Robinson! Sean, a wheel route out of the backfield, down the left sideline. This whole thing is on Stanzi. Stanzi is pressured, is able to make a miss. You said it could come down to quarterback play, and so far today, Stanzi has been much better than Cousins. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. How impressive was Iowa's performance last Saturday against Michigan State, and was that one of the best performances you've seen by an Iowa team in a long time? It was. I mean, it was uh, you know clean on all aspects of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, and that's what you want. And I was a little shocked that Michigan State didn't have any success running the football. I mean, I just tells you how good our front seven is or is getting our front four and then our linebackers are coming along pretty well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of parity in the Big Ten and we got up on them and, and, and played extremely well. And if you don't play well in the Big Ten, you're going to lose. And, and I think it was a situation where I was just, just, you know, beat him to the punch on about everything. So uh, that being the case, Michigan State's, you know, marquee wins. You know, they did beat Wisconsin, which is a great win, but then their other wins are against Penn State or uh, uh, Notre Dame and Michigan, and those don't look as good as they used to. So... Uh, but, you know, a win in the Big Ten is great. To win that way and that convincingly, obviously, against the top 16 at the time, it was very, very impressive. Uh, reporters use terms like angry and redemption to describe the Hawks. Are those factors that are actually significant to players and coaches? I, I think it's just focus. I, I think it's just, you know, taking care of business, doing, doing what you need to do during the week and knowing that you're prepared. And then it's confidence um, more than redemption or anything like that. I mean, it's just... You know, missed opportunities, and I think Norm Parker has been the one that's always said, don't let one loss turn into two. And, um, you know, they showed the focus that it takes to come out and, 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 you know, and play a complete game, which is pretty impressive when you sit back and look at it as a whole. Uh, Coaches took a lot of criticism after the game against Wisconsin. Uh, Kirk said that was justified. Does that motivate a coaching staff at all, and does it motivate players? Well, it's, it should be an eye-opener. It should be, you know, you always got to self-scout yourself and and make sure you're, you're putting yourself in, you know. I mean, here's the job, here's the role of a coach, is to put the kids in a position to be successful and, and trying to avoid getting getting them in bad situations. And, and that's, that's your role as a coach. So, I mean, obviously you want to always reassess those things and evaluate how you're doing. And, and obviously there were some mistakes that were made. So, you know, they cleaned those up. And, uh, you know, at least they did on Saturday. And it's just a matter of you got to make sure you're locked down every week and you're ready to go. Uh, we'll talk about one of your favorite topics. Last Saturday's game saw a big impact from tight ends, perhaps the most notable or noticeable this season. Yeah, I mean, it was some great plays being made by those guys. And I, and I think when you get into the bigger games and, and the throws are tighter and 
uh, and there's better coverage and stuff like that. I think the tight ends are going to become more of a factor. Uh, so, you know, it's obviously it's great for me to see, and it's funny because you got to go look at the roster sometimes because you haven't heard some of these names in a while. You got to go back and refresh yourself on who's there. So. But that's the great thing is when you got guys that you haven't heard of starting to make plays in these big games, then you know you got some depth. And, and, and Ricky Stanzi does a good job of distributing the football. Yeah, talk about Ricky Stanzi. He had another great performance, and now there's even some Heisman talk. Well, yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, we've talked about it. That you take away, you know, five just mental lapses last year. He's been about as good as anybody the last two years. I mean, the guy can flat out lead his team and. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you don't pressure him, you don't get pressure on him, you know, he can pick you apart. I mean, you know, I think the model that is, you know, Wisconsin didn't get pressure and he picked them apart, I thought, and Michigan State didn't get any pressure and he picked them apart. And, and the one team that's had success against Ricky Stanley was Arizona, who was able to get some pressure on him. Moving on to the defense, they pretty much shut down Michigan State. Your thoughts on their performance? Just all 11, complete dominance. Uh, you know, just getting to the football and, and being physical up front and, and not allowing their, their, their you know, their three-headed rushing machine to get going. And the most impressive thing for me was just the way I thought we handled their, you know, they got some stud receivers and tight ends, and I just thought they weren't a factor either. Everything was contested. There was no easy completions uh, and no easy runs. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, we played faster, we played more physical, and, uh, you know, we were definitely the dominant team. Uh, the Hawks employed a lot of 3-4 against Michigan State, especially on third downs. Now for the average fan, can you discuss the different philosophies of the 4-3, which I would typically use as first the 3-4, and why you might employ one as opposed to the other in certain situations? Well, you know, I think, you know, one, technically you can say you, you get a better athlete with a 3-4 if you bring in another linebacker and take a D lineman out. Um, you know, sometimes I think with, with what they've got now in Tarpinian and Morris and, and they're developing some depth at the linebacker position where they feel really good about some of those linebackers in coverage, so they're going to bring those guys in on coverage and then maybe take a, uh, you know, one of the interior D linemen out. You know, I, I think it's a, it was a coverage factor, and I, I, I feel like they really feel like they can get pressure with three or four to some extent, that they can, do, they can cause enough havoc in the offensive line blocking that the quarterback's not going to be comfortable and now we got eight guys covering versus seven so you know I mean that, that's kind of the, just a tactical decision personnel issue if you want to uh, have an extra linebacker in the, in the flat curl zone area uh, you know having the three four versus the four three gives you an extra guy for that. It seemed like the Spartans were able to complete the shorter slant patterns when the Hawks employed the three four is that just the nature of the scheme? You know I, I think it's it's you know, the one thing you have is you have, uh, like I said, I mean, when you're rushing three, you don't, you don't get as much pressure on the quarterback, but by design, you're giving some of that stuff up. You, you're covering the hooks and, and things like that. You don't want to give the 10-yard completion. You know, you're willing to give the five-yard stuff. And, and even then, I thought it was always contested. I, I thought it was always a situation where it wasn't like five, six years ago when they, they could just throw the out route all day long and the hitches all day long. And, take their six, seven yards. I mean, I thought now it's when they are taking those short passes, they're still contested. They're still getting hit. And, um, you know, that's it's, it's, a, it's a strategy that, you know, ultimately was effective because the shutout was pretty much intact. Uh, what did you see differently in the special teams playing schemes? Uh, again, one of the best performances by them this season. Well, I, I saw a lot of punt save. You know, I saw Adrian Claiborne on the field on fourth down a lot. And, you know, and I think that's one of the things that cleans up special teams when you have your best players out there. Um, they're in the flow of the game. They're ready to go. They're, you know, they're paying attention to detail. Um, and, you know, so 
you know, I, I think that had a lot to do with it. But uh, just, you know, I mean, it, you learn from mistakes. I mean, the good teams learn from mistakes. And, and, you know, that's the one thing I think I was doing now is you can never get in too much of a habit of this is what we do every time because a good coach will see it and they'll take advantage of it. Turning to the Indiana game, what is it about the Hoosiers and their style of play that has caused Iowa so many problems the last few years? It's, it's just wide open. It's just, you know, I mean, it's, they got athletes, uh, you know, they'll, they'll stretch the field sideways and vertically, um, you know, and they'll try to create little creases and zones in there. And, they, and if you have the right timing down, you know, technically, if you throw the ball in time, you should be able to complete it a lot, as long as you're not getting pressure and things like that. And the, you know, the problem with that is the guys got to catch it, they got to run the right route, they got to be, you know, free releasing and, and things like that. So that's what Iowa's been trying to disrupt. And uh, when you get the timing down, it's tough to defend. And so, you know, they've had enough athletes where they could make plays. And, and it, yeah, I mean, last year's game was pretty darn scary. I mean, it, w without the exception of that sash play where the ball is batted around and he comes out of it and runs for 90 yards for a touchdown. If they score there, I think it's over. But then we ended up blowing them out. So, you know, I mean, it, you got to be ready. I mean, that's the thing about the Big Ten is you can never take a game for granted. Uh, if you play flat and the other team plays well, you're going to get beat. Uh, will Iowa's situation at linebacker with the injuries uh, potentially make them more vulnerable this Saturday? Uh, it's just going to make them better. I mean, because I mean, guys are getting reps now. You know, when we start getting guys back, you know, it's going to be a situation where now we can really use Tarpenny in the, in the things that he's great at and then bring in Morris for the stuff that he's good at. And, and so it gives you more flexibility ultimately. Um, but, you know, that being the case, there's a, there is a case that, you know, it's good to get someone in there, get them stabilized, let them know, you know, they're going to be playing every down. So, but I think ultimately it's going to help us be better because we're really developing some great depth at that position. Adam Robinson apparently suffered a concussion in the Michigan State game. If he's limited or even out, how much does that affect Iowa? I think he's the MVP next to Ricky Stanzi of this team. I mean, uh, you know, especially offensively, I, the guy... All he does is get, create massive amounts of yards for Iowa's running game, eats clock, gets first downs. And, um, you know, I think that would be huge. I think it would be a huge setback because as, as talented as the other guys are, uh, you know, Robinson's just got a great feel for this offense right now, and, and he, he's the most effective guy we've had. Oh, you've mentioned it more than a few times past shows, talking about if you can't get focused for a game, if you can't get jacked up, yeah. there's something wrong with you. Uh, but coming against a team like Indiana, is it, I mean, how hard is it to get jacked up for this kind of you game? You know, it's a good question. It's, it's a kind of a quirky little trip. You know, you got to travel to Bloomington, and it's, it's a unique little campus. Um, and, you know, the stadium's not as big as, as stadiums that they're normally used to playing in. And, um, but, you know, I mean, the great thing is I was still in the driver's seat. I mean, they're still controlling their destiny in the Big Ten championship race. And so, you know, that's the focus. I mean, you know, it's a game we've got to win and, and we've got to play well. And, and uh, that's, that's the, you know, it's, it's all they got to do is put on the films from last year. And I think that'll show them exactly what they need to be careful for. Do you want to wait for this? All right. What are your keys to the game, both offensively and defensively? And then a final score prediction. Uh, you know, the keys to the game are just to continue to play clean, you know, continue uh, to, to be air free in the special teams game. Uh, to continue to control the line of scrimmage, keep Ricky Stanzi clean, um, and run the ball effectively, and and uh, you know play physical. I mean that's the thing I think more than anything else is they've got to just play physical football and and the way they're capable of playing. If they do that and they're focused, I think we beat them by 40. I, re I mean I really do. I think Indiana's 
down this year from where they have been in the past. And, you know, if you get a team like that where they think, you know, they want to believe that they have a chance. And if, if you let them believe it, they'll stay and they'll play. And if they, if, if they don't believe it anymore after a couple, two or three series, not that they quit, but it's just, you know, they, they, the realization is these guys are better than us will sink in. And then, you know, it's just it gets tough from there. All right. Any other thoughts? That's it. Just uh, just two road games. So, I mean, you know, they've had the comforts of home. So now they got to go on the road and they got to get back to used to, to traveling and, uh, you know, wearing the white jersey. That's the big difference. All right. Thanks. Excellent. First and goal. Robinson back in there, down by the goal line, and he spins into the end zone. Refusing to go down. Touchdown, Iowa. Oh, and did I mention he had good balance? <laughs> this guy is hard to knock off his feet. They whack him. He just keeps the moving. Just great fight, great effort, six points. Powered through the tackle of Colin Neely into the end zone. So they do go for the jugular, and they score. In our Big Ten notebook, with just four weekends of Big Ten play remaining, Iowa's win over Michigan State created a four-team logjam atop the conference standings. This potentially creates all kinds of co-championship scenarios and brings the Big Ten's somewhat convoluted tiebreaker into play to determine which team gets the automatic bid to the Rose Bowl. But these facts are clear. The Iowa-Ohio State game in Iowa City will result in a maximum of three teams that could tie for the title, since the loser of that game will have two losses. That also means the league could have three co-champions, the Hawks or Buckeyes, along with Michigan State and Wisconsin. If Iowa wins out and Wisconsin loses one of its remaining games, Iowa will get that berth. The possibility also remains for the Big Ten to get a second BCS Bowl bid. It's highly unlikely, though, that any Big Ten team will get to play in the BCS title game. The Big Ten continues to be the only conference with four teams ranked in the top 16 in the BCS poll, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan State, and those four teams are also ranked in the top 16 in the three major polls. The conference already has five bowl-eligible teams, including the Hawks. In other conference news, Penn State head coach Joe Paterno will be going for his 400th win as a college head coach this Saturday when the Nittany Lions host Northwestern. That's an absolutely incredible feat and likely will never be matched again. Paterno is in his 45th year as a head coach. With four games left, Michigan quarterback Denard Robinson has already set the single-season Big Ten quarterback rushing record and will likely become the FBS all-time record holder over the next two games. Meantime, Iowa's Ricky Stanzi has the best touchdown-to-interception ratio of any quarterback in the nation, averaging 15 or more passing attempts per game, and he's second only to Boise State's Kellen Moore in FBS passing efficiency. Going back to the BCS rankings and bowls for a moment, how about this for another bizarre twist in how the system works, and I use that term loosely. If number one ranked Oregon finishes the season undefeated and plays in the BCS title game, the Rose Bowl will not be allowed to pick the Pac-10 runner-up team, which could very well be an 11-1 Stanford squad. Instead, the Rose Bowl will take the top-ranked non-automatic qualifying conference team. This season, that could be Boise State.
State, TCU, or Utah. The only way that would not happen is if one of those three teams ended up playing Oregon in the title game. There's lots of key games yet to be played this year, but suffice it to say, the angst is growing in Pac-10 country. Oh, this is awkward. I'm gonna walk, uh, I'm gonna walk this situation off and I will see you later. Nothing to look at. Go back to work, everyone. Don't act like you're not impressed. Third down and seven. Crowd hoping for a three and out to start the second half. Cousins lost it up again. Intercepted by Brett Greenwood. He has blockers. And Greenwood's down at the 15-yard line. He tried to force one in. Tried to get one to Gant down in the seam, but it was well covered the whole way. And then Greenwood just played center field, read the eyes. Ball came right to him. Another poor decision by Cousins. Time now for our Reporters Roundtable with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett talks with Pat and Rob about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. Many people are saying that last Saturday's game, perhaps the best overall performance by an Iowa team in recent history. It's clearly the, their best performance this year. I don't think it's even close when you consider the competition, but you know, it's hard to say. Did Michigan State have somewhat of an off day? I think so. I think that contributed to it. And Iowa played its best game, all three phases. I would agree. The best against the worst. And right away, Iowa got on top of them early. The crowd got into it. It just was the perfect storm. And they excelled on special teams. And just like everything, everything fell into place. And Michigan State just played terribly. I don't know if it was more Iowa being great and Michigan State being bad. or a combi- I think it was mostly a combination of both. Uh, was there anything not to like in that game? Are there any lingering concerns? Sounds like there might be. I mean, injury-wise. Injury-wise, I mean, Tyler Nielsen's out, out from what I'm hearing for probably for the rest of the season. Adam Robinson, there's talk about he has a concussion that could have lingering effects. You wonder about him even taking the plane flight over to Indiana if that's going to be an issue. So yeah, I mean, injuries would be the main thing. And there's the question. I don't think it's that big. Some people have wondered. I've been asked it two or three times why they did leave. Stands in so long. Vandenberg supposedly has a bad back. So, I mean, what would happen to this team if Stanzi was out for even a series? That's what I am left wondering. Vanderbilt, they left the game late hurt. Yeah. Geddes left the game late hurt. I'm hearing the Geddes injuries may be a little bit worse than Vanderbilt. That's why I was surprised he showed up for interviews. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess we'll find out on Saturday who's able to go and who isn't. But injuries are starting to become a factor with this team. That's something to keep an eye on. How is it possible that Iowa is still ranked behind Michigan State in the USA Today coaches poll? They have two losses. Two losses. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, they're just They beat going. Michigan State at home and they lost twice. Yep, and simply it's a numbers game right now. Uh, some of the Michigan State media in the press box said they expect to see Michigan State was overrated stories. Uh, was this more about Iowa bouncing back big time from the Wisconsin game or about the Spartans not being as good as many people thought? Both. Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I mean, Michigan State, uh, last week the talk was, is Michigan State this year's Iowa, meaning Iowa from last year, and able to pull out games at the end. You know, they did it against Notre Dame. They did it against Northwestern. But, you know, it's a week-to-week thing. And, you know, uh, are they a top-five team in the country? I didn't think that going into the game, and I certainly wasn't convinced otherwise on Saturday. Yeah, and I don't think that Iowa – was that far apart from Michigan State, even though record-wise they were two games behind them. I just think 
Michigan State, like Rob said, kind of walked the tightrope. It finally caught up with them, and Iowa had the perfect storm going. They they had two directions they could have gone after that Wisconsin loss. They obviously went in the right direction for at least one week, and I think Michigan State was overrated, and Iowa was a very good two-loss team waiting to explode with a performance. Uh, Ricky Stancy continues to have an incredible season. Uh, talk about his performance against Michigan State and whether the All-Big Ten and Heisman talk is realistic. I, I certainly think the All-Big Ten oh. talk is, is realistic. Um, you know, they're, they're, he's got decent competition. Obviously, Denard Robinson is a name who's been on the national radar all year. Um, Dan Purse has had a nice year from Northwestern. Um, you got Terrell Pryor, especially if Ohio State comes into Iowa and wins, and he's he plays a decent role in that. The Heisman, I think it's still a little bit too early just because we don't know. Iowa's got four games left. If they, you know, if they lose two of the next four, I think he's completely out of the race. But if they went out, I think he's certainly got to be in the discussion. He's had a good year, and I think he'll, he would even admit it has a lot to do with how well his offensive line's played. He's had a lot of time. I think, I don't think he's been sacked a whole lot this year. I don't know. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it's got to be a pretty low amount. And uh, he's got a lot of weapons on offense, as, as many weapons on offense as Iowa's had, I think, in the Ferentz era. Yeah, he's got a fifth-year senior receiver in Durrell. He's got a senior tight end. He's got a fourth-year junior wide receiver in McNutt. Probably the best receiver combination since Mo Brown and C.J. Jones. The offensive line has done a good job of protecting him, and I agree with Rob. I think he definitely, I just wrote this this week, I think he definitely has a chance to make all Big Ten. I mean, I think Terrell Pryor is probably who a lot of people will assume will win that thing. I mean, some people have him third in their Heisman ballot right now, which, and the Heisman, I think the only way Ricky could do that is if Iowa wins out and he has a couple 300-yard games, just games where he really stands out and just is incredible. I think that's the only way he gets invited to New York. But I think all Big Ten is a definite possibility, but I think almost in that situation, Iowa needs to win out there too. They need to win um, t- at least tie for the Big Ten championship because I think Denard Robinson's out of it. Just I think he can keep getting these 300-yard total offense games, but if they keep losing, there's no way he can make all Big Ten. My vote right now for all Big Ten, if it's not Stansy, would be Dan Persa from Northwestern. And Stansy, I mean, it is a, it is pretty remarkable what he's been able I mean, 17 touchdowns to 15 interceptions last year. Now he's 19-2. That's, and it should be 19-1. to Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty amazing turnaround. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you mentioned in a second ago with the offensive line, and we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. Uh, they continue to impress, and they're getting better week by week. Yeah, I, I think so. And they've had moving parts there, too. You think about McMillan starting most of the first part of the season. I think Geddes has started the last two games, so McMillan was a starter for the first uh, six games. Um, you know, so you've had some, some turnover there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I, it was a huge question mark coming into the season, and I think we've said it before on this podcast, if – you know, you point to one area on this team that's maybe overachieved what their expectations were before the season. I think it'd be the offensive line. I would agree with that. And they, for the most part, up until this week, they've stayed healthy. I mean, for the, for the most part, and what you've got to really like about the offensive line is, is Vanderbilt the only senior? Yes. I mean, it bodes well for next year and even the year after. I mean, I mean they could come in next year with arguably the most vaunted offensive line in the conference. I mean, because Wisconsin loses a lot and what have you. So, you know, I, I agree. I think the offensive 
line has been a great story, but maybe we're to the point now under Kirk to where this is what it is. I mean, maybe they do sort of just reload now since that is his area of expertise. And you're not looking at a unit that's ha in the past has had to use, you know, true freshmen, sometimes redshirt freshmen. Zusevic has been in for a while. Geddes has been in. McMillan's young, but still, I mean, I think he's kind of a unique case in that he was pushing for playing time last year. But Geddes, uh, James Ference, and Reef, I mean, those guys have all been around for a while now. And as Pat said, instead of maybe, you know, having to replace those guys with, with young, inexperienced guys, at least though they don't have game experience, they have experience in the program. Uh, what did you see differently from Iowa's defense in this game compared to the previous two weeks? They tackled better. I mean, they just, I mean, they just played better. They played the gaps better. They were more physical. They were better off the point of attack. They got a better surge on the defensive line. They just, I also think they were playing against a much weaker offensive line. Wisconsin's offensive line is bigger and better than Michigan State's. So Iowa dominated inside out. I think once they started dominating in the trenches, Cousins got a little rattled and everything from Michigan State's point of view fell apart after that. Much better offensive line in Wisconsin. And I also think it helped that Iowa played well offensively earlier, got a lead. It kind of changes your approach defensively. You can pin your ears back a little bit and be aggressive. And Iowa's that way. And Iowa, you know, with the defense, I think what also helped last week is they integrated more of the 3-4 concept and some nickel packages. They were more diversified on defense to give the offense something to think about. Uh, you both wrote columns this week about the emergence and play of James Morris. Assess his play. Talk about his longer-term prospects in the Iowa program. No, like I wrote first time I saw him when he was a freshman, I, you could just tell. You knew that he was unique, and he's turned out to be probably even better than I imagined. But I think he went to that camp in Champaign, Illinois, going into his senior year. I think that's when you started saying, wow, this kid is for real. He's not just a big bone Iowa farm boy running over smaller kids. He's a big-time football player. But if you don't know James, there's so much about him, too. He's very charismatic, very outgoing. He's just really sure of himself. And I don't think he's in, intimidated or overwhelmed by anything. And so much of football at this level is mental, too. And I think he handles that as well as he handles the physical part of it. Some of the, th you know, some of the comments from his teammates yesterday and Kirk, they all seem to talk about intelligence and smarts like, talk, like Pat was talking about. And so that's a huge part of it. And his, his makeup, his, his, you know, his ability to go out there and not be intimidated. Uh, I think Tyler Sass said yesterday, he, he's amazed that you see a kid that's a true freshman, you know, that was just in high school, you know, less than six months ago, go up and call plays and, and, and con not confront, but, but lead a, a veteran defensive line, guys that have been around for years, and they're, you know, they're reacting to him. He's getting them lined up in the right spots. I mean, it, it, there's a reason why Fred Barr was the only, is the only true freshman to play middle linebacker in the Ferentz era and, and the start games, and it was forced, his hand was forced back then. This one, injuries have given James the chance, but he's prepared. He's prepared his whole life to be ready for this. This moment uh, probably the best game of the season overall for Iowa's special teams what changes did the coaching staff make for that game and are we likely to continue to see that going forward well they made some personnel changes I mean there were some more there were more veteran players in there but I I, I still it's well the punt safe the punt safe they, they basically left the defense out there on, on yeah for, they for pretty much eliminated any chance for a fake punt but they just also executed better I yeah. mean they just had physical breakdowns they had guys getting beat at the point of attack guys not being where they were 
were supposed to do. They just took care of things. They took care of their assignments. Plus, all, I mean, we talk, we've talked about this on the podcast in past weeks. They have young, a lot of freshmen out there, true freshmen. Those kids are starting to get more experience now and understanding what they need to do. So I think that plays into it as well. I and mean, I noticed, I watched Don Shumpert a couple times. He made a couple. The one time I isolated on him, he came down, he made the tackle, and he looked really fired up. And when Kirk said that about him after the Wisconsin game, talking about how he made a couple youthful mistakes, but that he's a good foot, you could tell Kirk likes him. I mean, that's that's a good endorsement for Kirk when he says, but he'll be right out there again this week because he's a good football player. That I thought that was a pretty telling quote. Turning to the Indiana game, a team that has given Iowa a lot of problems the past few years. Yeah, and you know, in the past, I, I think there have been some matchup issues with Indiana just in terms of uh, the type of offense they run. They, they've gotten, you know, wide receivers on linebackers and things like that. Um, Kellen Lewis gave them trouble. Uh, Antoine, Rand- going back to Antoine Randall L, gave them trouble. And that's not a, it's not a secret. They've had trouble against, you know, multiple quarterbacks in the past. I just, I, I watched Indiana against Northwestern without Thigpen at running back. Uh, it, th- they'll have some success moving the ball against Iowa. I just It's not Indiana that I, I've noticed the past few years. I think it's a less of an Indiana team. They actually played better on defense when I watched them against Northwestern than I, than I thought they were. I just think it's going to be one of those games where Iowa would have to really have to step on their own foot to, to, to lose this one. And I'm not sure. Is Darius Willis, he's out for the year, right? Yeah. That's huge for them. That takes away their chance to be balanced. Willis is who I meant. I said big pin, but Willis is. So yeah, Iowa can kind of make some adjustments there because they're going to have a running back back there but it's not Darius Wells who really hurt them last year if you remember on that opening drive of last year's game he just ran down the field so I think they're going to score two or three touchdowns but I think I I think Iowa will play I think they'll just be a perfect balance I think Ricky's going to throw for 250 I think if A-Rob can't play I see Coker rushing for 75 or somebody I see them getting about 400 yards total offense balance and I just like Rob said Iowa would have to completely self-destruct probably in more than one phase to lose this game because Indiana there's a reason they're only Four. I mean, they're just not that good of an overall football team. They've got certain strengths, and it's with their passing attack. Uh, any there's thoughts? not much of a home field advantage there. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, there's not. That's another key. That's a key thing too. It's hard for those Indiana players to really get motivated because, man, it is. It's the most depressing Big Ten stadium. It just, it's just kind of. It's almost like you're not in a big. It's Ten like video. watching basketball at Penn State. Yeah, kind of, like, and starting to be carved. <laughs> Yeah, you, you said that on me. That's true. <laughs> but they're going to get mad and they're going to change that, though. Carver's going to be rocking here in a little bit. It better be. There's going to be there are going to be people that are mad. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the uh, matchup between Iowa's defensive line and Indiana's offensive line? No, I hadn't, I hadn't given it any thought, but I will now. Iowa should win that matchup. I mean, they should dominate that matchup. Yeah, I don't think Indiana's offensive line is any better than Michigan State's offensive line. So, yeah, I, I mean, if they they play like they did last week, they should have some success. they got to get that right frame of mind, and that's the challenge with being the coach, and that's what I think Kirk's really good at, though. He compartmentalizes so many things. This week is all that matters. The challenge is to get that same team ready for this Saturday. Saturday that they had last Saturday, even though the circumstances are completely different. This team's not ranked. This team's not undefeated. The cornerback's just not recently released from jail. So, they didn't beat them in a 16-13 to 13 wild game the year before. There's just a lot of things that are different. Definitely be a test. I mean, you're coming off a huge oh, win against I the agree. number five team in the country, going to pretty much a morgue to play a football game. But it's not Minnesota. No. This is not Minnesota's personnel. It's a better offense than Minnesota. Yeah, and that Minnesota, that atmosphere would take care of itself because it's going to 
to be their first time in that stadium. Yep. This game has nothing to offer them other than the challenge from Indiana and a miserable road trip. Top three or four storylines you see emerging in this Saturday's game? A-Rob. Yeah, I think the running back situation. The running back one. situation, the injury. I think the linebacker situation. Does Hunter play? Does Tarpinian play? And yeah, I wrote about that today. There's so many different, because of the versatility yeah. of Johnson and Tarpinian and even DeBona, they could go a lot of different ways at that linebacker spot. If Tarpinian's ready to start, you could see him playing where oh, Nielsen played and with Morris in the middle Morris and Hunter the on the other side. If Hunter yep. can't play, then you have somebody that may go into that spot. So, yeah, that linebacker spot. Is and then the other thing was just how Iowa defends against their NFL-type receivers. That DeMarlo Belcher, 6'6", 215. I think they've got, I think he and Tandon Doss are both probably NFL receivers. And that Dwight Wilson, who's somebody Iowa recruited, mm -hmm. he's a redshirt freshman. He's 6'3", 220, and he looks like a stud in the making. So what, I think those are the three stories. What Indiana tried to do, did you watch any of the Northwestern game? A they little kinda, bit. They, they did that, you dink, know, and that dink and dunk, and then they took shots over the top when they tried to get the yep. safeties moving up, they weren't able to connect on those very much against Northwestern. Iowa has shown it's been susceptible to that yep. deep ball, so after, you know, after a team dinks and dunks, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Do you think the players are aware that this could be Kirk's 100th career victory, and might that provide any additional motivation? Nope. I, I don't even, I mean, I read it in the notes, but then I forgot about we, it. Did we even ask him about it yesterday? I don't think so. I mean, it's a number. And see, the problem is when you ask Kirk questions like that, you know what the answer is. He's going to grunt and snort and downplay it and <laughs> say something like, well, I can't believe we've been able to win that many games without, w despite of me, just uh, in spite yeah. of me. It'll be all the self-deprecating stuff. I don't think he ever uses himself to motivate the players. No, but I mean, if the, that's one of those situations after the game, it's brought to the players' attention. They're, yeah, they know. They could fire a game ball his way or you know something like that in, in the post game but I don't think going into the game it's much of a talking point yeah I don't think he comes in with a big sign 100 <laughs> here guys win it for me it's not like it's never about Kirk and, and Joe Pa's going for what 800 800 I yeah think. <laughs> wow that's right Kirk's going for 100 right when Joe Pa's going for 400 do you think Kirk will get that record no. How old would he? <laughs> well, they had it on last night on the Big Ten Network. Jim Trussell with his victories at Youngstown State's the closest. But according to Heron and Rackley, he'd have to average 10 victories for the next 17 years to match Joe Paul. <laughs> so that shows you what Joe Paul's done. Uh, final score prediction? I'm going to say Iowa first. 38, Indiana 21. I'll say 34-17. We're pretty similar. In the same Almost same I think the spread. spread's like 17 Yeah, points. right around being close to covering the spread, but maybe not. I would not bet on this game if I was a better. This nope. would be a tough one. Any other thoughts? Nope. I'm hoops, baby. Hoops in about an hour and a half. First press conference. I, I, it's, it's funny to me, and I know because I monitor message boards all the time, but how many... Iowa fans just overlook Indiana and Northwest. Oh, it's, after it's what's scary. happened the five or, last five or six years, to just say, "Oh, it's all right if A. Rob doesn't play, Coker will just go in there and run for 200 yards." Yeah, it's scary. These two games next week are real scary. I, I can guarantee you, Kirk's worried. Oh, and this, see, to me, this is the strength of Kirk, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the strength of his players. He's got to somehow get his players to focus. I agree because with Rob though, because that carrot was of right Ohio there. State is just hanging out there. They right could be now. eight and two going into that Ohio State game, and all the Iowa fans assume. So, and those players read the message boards at night. They talk to the students. Hey, man, when you guys win these next two, but yeah, it's a, it's a mind. To me, this is as much a mind game as it is a physical game. That's my last thought. Don't you have homes? Marvin McNutt doing everything right. Touchdown, Iowa.
Iowa. 22 yards on the pass from Ricky Stanzi. Well, Ricky Stanzi could have read War and Peace back there. He had so much time. Just a great job of protection. And Marvin McNutt, former high school quarterback. Stanzi beat him out a couple of years ago, so he moved to wide receiver. And he's become one of Stanzi's favorite targets. He's actually their leading receiver in the Big Ten conference games this year. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. And broadcast school has really paid off. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefins Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883. 0842 Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Iowa travels to Bloomington this week to play Indiana, a team that has often given Iowa major problems the past few years, with the Hawks coming off of their huge win over Michigan State last Saturday, and Indiana without a Big Ten win yet this season. This could be a classic trap game for the Hawks. Iowa is 6-2 overall, 3-1 in the Big Ten, while the Hoosiers are 4-4 overall, but 0-4 in league play, and gaining bowl eligibility for Indiana is probably unlikely given their remaining schedule. This will be the 72nd game in this series, which Iowa leads 40-27-4. Indiana's last win was in Iowa City in 2007, but they nearly beat the Hawks last year, too, in a wild come-from-behind win for Iowa at Kinnick. As we've already mentioned, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Indiana's Bill Lynch are both going for their 100th win in their head coaching careers, so one of these two will accomplish that goal this weekend and become the fourth active Big Ten coach to do so. Overall, Ferentz is 99 and 78 in 15 years as a head coach, while Lynch is 99, 94, and 3 over 18 years. This is yet another Big Ten game featuring two very good quarterbacks, Iowa's Ricky Stanzi and Indiana's Ben Chappell. Both of them are among the 16 finalists for the Davey O'Brien Award as the country's best college QB, and both rank high nationally in a number of statistical categories. 
Chapel is completing nearly 65% of his passes and only needs three more completions to become Indiana's all-time leader in that category. The game also features two groups of some of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Iowa's Darrell Johnson Culianos and Marvin McNutt are racking up impressive stats and lots of big-time plays, but the Hoosiers are one of the few FBS teams that feature three-star wideouts who all could be headed to the NFL one day. And they are the only team in the country to have three receivers in the top 50 in receptions per game. Overall, Indiana has five players who have caught at least 20 passes so far this year. As good as Indiana's passing game is, the Hoosiers have virtually no running game. That makes them a one-dimensional team offensively, something that usually means a big day for Iowa's highly rated defense. As good as Chapel has been, he struggles when under pressure, and the Hawks should bring a lot of that. Conversely, Indiana ranks near the bottom in conference defensive stats, has not been able to mount a strong defensive rush much of the season, has had problems with bad tackling, and has a depleted secondary that has given up a lot of yards. Those are factors that should have Iowa's offense salivating over the possibility of another big day. Perhaps the biggest question marks for Iowa surround the running game and the depth at linebacker. Adam Robinson is doubtful for this contest after suffering an apparent concussion against the Spartans. That could mean a lot of pressure on true freshman running back Marcus Coker, who has very limited experience. At linebacker, the Hawks have lost another starter in Tyler Nielsen, but may get Jeremiah Hunter back. Nevertheless, with Indiana's prolific passing game, keeping fresh linebackers in there will likely be critical for Iowa. The Hawks employed linebackers by committee against Michigan State and will probably do that again this Saturday against the Hoosiers. This is a big game for both teams. It is senior day for Indiana and one of only three Big Ten home games this season. Lynch is under growing pressure and a win over Iowa would be a huge boost for him and his program. Iowa, on the other hand, is hoping to build on its win over Michigan State, keep the momentum going, and stay in the Rose Bowl hunt. Iowa's coming off perhaps its best overall performance in recent history. The matchups in this one should favor the Hawks. It's hard to see how Iowa should lose absent a complete breakdown. But then, stranger things have happened. Remember last Saturday's game in Iowa City. Hey, shake and bake, Al! Woo! Shake and bake! Much different ending this week for Kirk Ferentz than that nightmare with the spike, no spike timeout in the last 12 seconds last week. Four teams in the Big Ten with one loss. These two, Iowa and Michigan State, along with Wisconsin and Ohio State. And return to Kinnick Stadium where Cousins cheered for Iowa growing up. Not a happy one for Kirk. A terrific season, but this was not his best day. Final score, Iowa 37, Michigan State 6. Our thanks again to ABC ESPN for the game highlights this week. Another nice job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.